0: So we'll be in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 40, if you want to go ahead to that place. I want to read a couple of scriptures before that and set a stage for you. I want to put these on the screen so you you can follow along. Some of you may have been doing uh, read through the Bible plans, and whenever you start a read through the Bible plan in January, it feels like around this time of year, you spend a lot of time in Leviticus and then in Numbers, and as we say, in Kentucky sometimes, that can be tough sledding. When you get into Leviticus and Numbers, you think, what is the, what is the purpose of us really trying to understand all these laws, but let me share a couple of of them with you that I think are really relevant for the passage today. The first one is in Leviticus 15, and it starts in verse 25. I'm going to read 25, 26, and 27. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity... Or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness, as in the days of her impurity she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity, and everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and will be unclean until the evening so that's that's when you have a have a problem with blood right in Leviticus 15 then in numbers chapter 19 numbers chapter 19 starting in verse 11 whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean 7 days he shall cleanse himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day and so be clean. But if he does not cleanse himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not become clean. Whoever touches the de- a dead body, the body of anyone who has died and does not cleanse himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from Israel. Because the water for impurity was not thrown on him, he shall be unclean. His uncleanness is is still on him so you have this kind of old testament picture that a person is uh, unclean so they're defiled and as they go about in their defilement everything that they touch becomes defiled and the people who touch those things become defiled and it's this picture of sin right so uh, a lady has Uh, just her regular monthly period, but she's uh, unclean for those days. And so when she sits on a bench, the bench becomes unclean, and anyone else who sits on the bench is then unclean. If she touches someone, that person's unclean. And if that person touches someone, then the person they touch becomes unclean. It just spreads around. That's the picture that we have, really, of sin and the picture that we get from Leviticus and from, from Numbers. So as we've been going through our resurrection series, we've so far seen three different women. Two of these women were uh, widows, and each of these lost her only child. First Elijah, then Elisha, and then last week we saw Jesus intervening and families being restored. This week in Luke chapter 8, we see another only child, but we finally get to see uh, a dad come on the scene. It's, for, it's, it's, been, it's been women uh, the last three weeks, but now finally a dad is on this scene. And also this time, instead of uh, seeing a son raised from the dead, we're going to see a daughter who is raised from the dead. Luke Luke chapter 8 is actually a kind of a, a beautiful chapter, uh, I think, because it starts Really focused on women, the women who are accompanying Jesus, and ends with these two great stories about females uh, as well. And so sometimes I, I think we will uh, we'll feel like well, the, the Scripture doesn't have as much to say about ladies, but it, to me it's just it's just not true. This Scripture has a lot to say about women, and um, and just what a beautiful picture that Jesus gives as he ministers to women, and as in the beginning of Luke chapter eight, as women minister to him. Okay, Luke chapter eight. We're going to start in verse forty. Now, when Jesus returned, so we'll we're going to talk about this in just a second. But Jesus had gone across the lake, and uh, he had met a demon-possessed man. He uh, drove a legion of demons out of that man. The community got together. They said, "We can't believe it. This is amazing. Please leave." And Jesus, so Jesus goes across the lake delivers one man from all these demons, and then he goes back across the lake again. And and this is when it says when he returned. That's where he returned from, across the, the lake there, across the sea. And the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Verse 45, and Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowds are surrounding you and they pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Verse 49, While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any more." But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. When she came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise, and her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that they should that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Father, we pray that as we open your word today, that you, Lord, would you help me to decrease that you might increase in this time. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, and Lord, would you uh, allow us to move into this uh, depth of relationship with you, whereby we. Uh, allow the light of Christ to shine through us where we're changed and molded and Lord I pray for our personal spiritual lives I pray for our marriages and for our families we pray God for those who live in singleness and ask that you would bless them and use them in uh, Lord in a special way we thank you for uh, Lord the, the love that you have for us and we pray that you would teach us and cause us Lord to grow in our faith, and uh, Lord, in our actions as well today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in the text, we see this, and this is what I really would say that uh, I come away with this. When Jesus is uh, there with the man in verse 50, they come and they say, your daughter is dead. Don't bother to teach her anymore. And he says to the father, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe, because our trust lies not in what we can see, or our trust doesn't doesn't uh, have its uh, foundation in what we can do. Our trust is based on what Jesus can do. If you've been around here very long, you probably have heard me talk about these four stories. These four stories are in the same order in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke, where Jesus is in a boat, and they wake him up, and they say, We're going to drown. Do you not care? And he speaks and calms the sea. And after that he goes across and he meets the man that's filled with demons and he drives all of those demons out. And then he comes back across the lake and he meets uh, this lady and he heals her physical body. He raises this girl from the dead. And these four stories point us to the fact that Jesus has power over the natural world. When he says, stop, it stops. The wind stops and the rain stops. It just ceases. His power over the supernatural. When he says, go, demons Go. There's no argument. There's no discussion. He says go, and they go because he's in control of the supernatural. He's in control over our physical bodies. When we feel like we're uh, wasting away, when we're weak, we can't go on. Jesus speaks, and our physical bodies are strengthened. And then life and death. We see these pictures. That's why we're looking at the resurrection passages as we build toward Easter. I love the way Sam put it last week. Everyone else... Everyone else has to ask for help in order for someone to be raised from the dead. And Jesus doesn't ask for help. Jesus just commands, get up. Get up. And they get up. His power over life and over death. Uh, these two stories I really could because we're focused on resurrection. I wanted to start in the beginning and then jump the lady with the blood and go right to the end. Just tell the resurrection part of the story. But these two are always tied together in the Scripture. They, they're like that in Matthew. They're like that in Mark. They're like that in Luke. And I, I, I tried to separate them out and realized they're, they're together for a reason. I shouldn't be trying to pull them uh, apart. Just look at some of the similarities, right, in these two stories. We have an actual daughter, and then Jesus, when he's talking to this uh, woman about her healing, he calls her daughter. The girl is 12 years old. The lady has been bleeding for. 12 years. The father is admonished to believe. The lady is reaching out in faith. Both of them fall down at Jesus' feet. They're both really in a position where they're almost completely out of hope. She's going to die, right? This other lady has spent everything that she had on doctors, and she didn't get better. And both of these healings involve touch. And I would say the reason I started in Leviticus and Numbers Both of these healings involved touch with someone that Jesus, according to the law, was not allowed to be touching. He shouldn't have been touching them. And yet, he did touch them. So, let's just dig into it. Here's the first thing I want us to see. The man had a lot lot to fear, but belief overrode his fear. So as a synagogue ruler, that's what we see in verse 41, that Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. As a synagogue ruler, this man had a reputation to protect, right? Uh, they're oftentimes criticized throughout the Scripture when a, a synagogue ruler, when a Pharisee would walk through the through the, uh, the, through, the pasar, through the market area, the people would all stand up while he came through, right? This incredible sign of respect. He was a respected member of the community, Years ago, I heard this American preacher named Charles Stanley. He was talking about the prodigal son. And in that message, Charles Stanley said, Important people don't run. And it really struck me, right? Important people, they go jogging. But for the most part, important people don't, they just don't run. They don't get in a hurry. If they're late, then they're just going to be late. Important people don't run. And I would say, along the same lines, important people don't get down on their knees and ask for anything right we see we see in this man not someone who's concerned about his reputation we see instead someone who's concerned about the life of his daughter we just understand those of us who are parents and probably even for not parents we understand this idea that people go to incredible lengths to get their children what they feel like they need there's a pretty big scandal that's been going on in the US the last few weeks where uh, uh, celebrities, mostly these incredibly rich people, are paying for someone else to sit for the SATs for their kid, or they're, pray- they're paying for uh, test answers to be changed, or they're paying for uh, admission into certain universities that the kid really is not qualified to go to. There's a big list, and so the rich people are paying for their kid to be moved to the front of the line. People all the time do these kinds of things. They they break the law, they spare no expense, they risk their reputation all to provide for their children. So this ruler, I believe, had heard stories about Jesus' power, and when his daughter is laying there dying, he's willing to put aside his reputation because he's saying, I'm going to get the thing that my daughter needs. I've got to get my daughter in front of him. So he had a lot to fear, but. The belief overrode his fear. And the lady, in the same way, had a lot to fear. But belief overrode her fear. We saw earlier that she's unclean. And so uh, maybe you've heard different times in Sunday school and lessons that people who are unclean should be saying that while they're out in the street. Unclean, unclean, unclean. You were supposed to be announcing it so people didn't bump into you accidentally and then get defiled. And so she's not doing the thing that she's supposed to do, telling the people, hey, be careful, because I'm unclean. Instead, she's going right into the middle of a crowd that she's not supposed to be in. This jostling, pushing uh, crowd. She gets right in there, even though she'd been sort of cut off from society for a long time. She gets in there and she's pressing in. Even against Jesus, she she risks a, a touch because she believes that if I can touch him, that I'm just going to be healed. When we feel like we're out of options, we start to do things that we wouldn't normally do. This lady feels like she's out of options. When we have nowhere else to turn, we we, we take some crazy risks, right? We maybe travel overseas for some sort of medical treatment that's not allowed in our home country, or we uh, get involved in some sort of drug trial or any of these kind of things that happen sometimes. This lady has done everything that she could do except come to Jesus and ask for help. And so when he comes by, this is not a lady who's in the middle of society and knows everything that's going on. So when he comes by, she's going to take advantage of that opportunity. This faith that she has is going to overcome her fear about what the other people are thinking, or about what the law says, or about any of these other things. She's going to take her chance to be healed. Then we see this. The man and the woman are both pressed to take another step in their faith. The woman touches Jesus and uh, he wants to know who's caused the power to go out from me. And apparently she, uh, I guess she lies about it, right? Because in verse 45, it says, who is it that touched me? And then it says, when all denied it. Wasn't me, wasn't me, wasn't me. But finally she sees I'm not going to get away with this. Jesus is going to... Jesus is going to know who touched him. And so she has to then publicly say, I've had this problem with my bleeding. It's been going on for all these years. And I just thought if I could just touch the edge of your jacket, that maybe somehow I'd be healed. For the synagogue ruler, it comes uh, down in... Verse 49 and 50, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered the man, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. He's being asked to take this additional step of faith at that point. Is she dead or is she going to be fine? He has to believe or he has to disbelieve. He He's just in this place where Jesus is saying one more step. The woman has to get out, and she has to confess. The man is required to believe that Jesus is more believable than this report about his daughter being dead. And then this is the beautiful part for me. After the miracle comes this restoration, right? Jesus calls this lady and has her confess publicly what's been going on with her. And then as she does that, he doesn't give a big rebuke for uh, not following the law. And we would say, well, that's, of course, Jesus never does that. But he, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law, right? He didn't come to wipe out all of those things. He came to fulfill it. So even though she's broken the law, he still says, your faith has made you well. And he, he announces then, not just she says she's healed, I'm saying that she's healed and she can be restored into this community. With a daughter, right? We see her rise up from the dead, and Jesus gives her to her parents and says, Give this girl something to eat. And it's not just about proving that somehow she's alive. This just this is the most normal thing that families can do. They sit down together and they eat. We just do this over and over and over. We just share food together. So as we think about these things, our, our faith overcoming our Fear. As we think about restoration, I, I just want us to think about what we're supposed to do. How do we live in the light of these things? Here's the first one. We should trust more than we fear. Right? We worry about our health. We worry about our family. We worry about our uh, jobs. There's, there is so much that we can be afraid about. There's so much that we can be afraid about. But when our faith is in Jesus, he, he will be at work in us to overcome that fear. But if we're not careful, our concern for how our friends and family, our co-workers feel about us reaching out in faith, if we're not careful, we'll get more concerned about what people around us think than what the Lord thinks. And it will cause us not to be responsive. So in my life, there was a point we were not living for the Lord, and we start to get convicted about that, and we start to just live for Jesus and people would come around and say oh man preacher boy and then they would uh just start to just start to say kind of things like that that they thought were funny but it would just be the, sort of the community's way of pulling you back to where you were where you where you're supposed to be that's not who you are right we go out we drink together we do this we do that we have these parties and we don't want you to change we want you to stay the same way that you are and so they'll pull on you. And if we're not careful, we allow other people's perception of us to keep us from being obedient. We have to make sure that we are really trusting in Jesus more than we are fearful of people around us. We have to reach out in faith. I think the reaching out in faith... I write this, I think, in the margin of almost every Bible that I have. When the woman reached out in faith, it made a difference. She, she reaches out because the way that we read the story, she's not the only one that's touching Jesus. There's so many people touching Jesus that when he says, who touched me, Peter says, what are you talking about? Everyone's touching you. Everyone's touching you. But Jesus says, no, someone touched me. When she reached out in faith, it made a difference. Somehow her believing and reaching caused her to receive something that the other people who were touching him didn't receive. She reached out in faith. It made a difference. This is right out of our experiencing God. If you're in our experiencing God study, we're hearing this over and over in our class. Right? A crisis of belief calls for obedience. And we keep hearing this in experiencing God that when God reveals what He's about to do, that it causes you a crisis of belief. So when someone tells the Father, Don't fear, only believe. He has then a crisis of belief. Which one am I going to believe? Am I going to believe Jesus or am I going to believe this report about my daughter being dead? And according to Henry Blackaby, who's the writer of this, our path of obedience is always going to put us in a spot where we have to show what we believe. We're always going to get into this spot where we have to take a step out, where he says the thing that you do shows what you believe about God. God, I think we're there uh, with our church a little bit, right? We're we're just in this spot with IBCBI that requires obedience and stepping out in faith. Uh, i trying to think. I think it was Eric when we, when he was here. We were at the house, and he said, "You know, I keep thinking about how my family is responding in faith by leaving the Netherlands and coming to uh, Malaysia." And he said, "I haven't been thinking so much about." how your family, who has so much invested in this church and loves this church and loves the people that are part of this church, how much faith it is requiring for you to sort of take your hands off certain things. And I said, we're, we're trying to be always in a spot where we say, Lord, it's not our church, right? It's just, it's your church. And so we want you to do what you want to do. Bring up the leaders that you want to have. And if we try to hold too tightly to the to the steering wheel, I think we'll just crash it. It's not our responsibility to be in charge of those things. And so then as as God just raising people up to lead worship for the first time and to serve in different ways, ways that they've maybe never served before, I think that response shows that people are taking that right there. There's a crisis and then they they take the next step. When someone says, "Would you lead the Bible study this week?" and their first thought is, "I don't I don't know about that." That seems like a pretty big step. And then they say, "Okay, I'll, I'll do my best." I'll do my best, right? Then I think that's people responding in faith. And to us, it's really encouraging. So maybe you're in a place where you're having a faith crisis and it's something in your personal relationship with the Lord. Maybe it's about your family or it's about your, your health, your, your work life, your marriage, your kids, right? We have a ma- so many things that we have to be concerned about. And I'd say if God's gotten you in a place where you think, what's the next step? And how do I know if I'm making the right step? The way that you make that step, I think, really does show what we believe about the Lord. So just a couple of questions, and then we're going to move to the Lord's table. Is there a place in your life, is there a place in your life that Jesus is telling you not to fear, but instead to believe? Maybe you've you've just been in the spot where you're wavering a bit about, do I really turn over my faith 100% to Christ, or do I kind of keep trying to have one foot in, in each world, right? I'm managing my own spiritual affairs and 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 and, and I also see there's benefit, and so uh, maybe you're in that spot. Maybe you've just said I, I, I'm i realizing that I've, I've, I've not been uh, baptized as a believer, and you want to submit to that, right? We've talked about baptism a few times lately, and Maybe you've been thinking, I should do that, but you're just, I don't know, for whatever reason, you're, you're, you're hesitant. Or maybe you would just be in a spot where you think, I really need the church to pray for me. I want my, I want my faith family to pray for me, but it's just, how, how open do I really feel like I can be about some of these, uh, some of these things? So I would think, this is the, what we see in the passage, right? That Jesus would say to each of us, don't fear don't fear just just believe and to go back to where we started in the beginning this defilement that passes from person to person to person this this uh, spiritual uncleanness is the picture as I've been reading through some of these Old Testament books that I've just been loving so much lately that when they touch Jesus not only is he not defiled but he's able to cleanse them. It's just to me, it's incredible. This like this lady's been going around defiling everything, or dead bodies have been defiling, and any, all of these different kinds of things. And he is not concerned about that. He just reaches his hand right out and takes that dead body. And says, get up. Because he defeats that. He brings life where there was this spreading death before. We have this overcoming hope that is in Christ, this thing that was spreading defilement meets Him and is defeated. And instead, hope and healing goes into people instead. Let's pray together. Lord, You, uh, you know your, your people and Lord, the things that they are dealing with. And so uh, I just want to commit them to you at this moment. Lord, uh, maybe there's just just rebellion in some, in some of our kids or uh, difficulty in families that we as believers know that we should work through and restore and yet somehow we're hesitant. We're just, maybe we're just enjoying the bitterness a little bit and uh, we refuse to just put it aside. Or maybe it's uh, a family thing. Maybe it's a, a marriage sort of challenge. Maybe it's a work or some kind of professional thing that is uh, eating at us and causing us to worry. And so we want to commit those things to you. Lord, uh, for many of us, it's uh, health. If it's not our health or a child's health or a spouse's health, then it's a parent's health. And we just uh, hear about cancer. and We hear about uh, really uh, extreme diagnoses that cause us to be um, Lord just knocked off our uh, knocked off our bearings and we, we, we seem to not know which way is up sometimes and so I just pray and ask that you would intervene Lord we pray for those who are uh, job hunting and who are uh, struggling with uncertainty in that part of their lives Lord for marriages who maybe seem fine on the outside but uh, once the, the couple is back in the house there's no communication at all for uh, the parent who goes to bed brokenhearted about how their child behaves or uh, Lord just uh, any of these other things Lord our, uh, our weakness has really shown up when we, when we realize we can't heal the people around us so we commit these things to you. Lord, they're God-sized and they're not for us to handle. And so we commit them to you. And we ask that you would intervene, Lord, that you would give health and that you would give jobs and that you would give peace and that you would give hope to the people who are struggling without those things in these days. I pray, Jesus, that uh, as we as a church move forward, that you would continue to raise up new leaders. And God, I'm so thankful for the way that you're doing that. And uh, Father, as we in some ways Just try more and more week by week to not be in the middle of things that um, we see you then bringing other people along who are taking on that load. And God, how uh, optimistic we are about what you're going to do with IBCBI while we're not here. And so we look forward to, Lord, um, uh, many, many more people that come in and go out and and are making an impact, whether that's uh, in London or in the Philippines or in South Africa or Uh, In the U.S. somewhere, in Europe, Lord, in Australia, we just pray that you would continue to use our people as you send them back out. And as we prepare to look at the Lord's table and just turn our eyes and just remember the death of Christ, we pray that, Lord, you would move in our midst and if there's uh, a sin issue that's in our heart, I pray that you would, uh, through your kindness, Lord, that you would help us to be repentant, that we might... Uh, walk in newness of life with you, Lord, day by day in in real hope with Christ. And so we pray that you would just bless, and God, uh, I pray that if there are unsettled sort of things that people wouldn't leave today before they're settled, whether that's coming to faith in in Christ or, uh, Lord, seeking real spiritual help, I pray that today before uh, anyone leaves, if they need help, that they would seek it out from this faith family. We ask Jesus that you'd be glorified even as we turn our attention toward the table. We pray it in your name. Amen.